You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 151, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me tonight, as he does most of the time, is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. And his website, readandreaction.com. Will, I hope you had a nice uh, Fourth of July holiday last week. You know, uh, it's uh, you know one of those holidays where uh, it, it's, it's hot as heck outside, but you you like being outside just because they, that's kind of what that that holiday kind of speaks about. Oh man, definitely. We, you know, the Wednesday though killed me. I mean, it's, oh. just, <laughs> it's like I don't want to waste a vacation day or two vacation days on either side and. Uh, Let's just say there might have been a little bit of moonshine that was imbibed on Wednesday night, and I paid for it on Thursday morning, but yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, I had to work uh, for Channel 4, a TV station here in Jacksonville. We do this big uh, fireworks show, and uh, probably one of the best ones we've done. So, uh, you know, and, and like you said, it being in a, it being on a Wednesday didn't really bother me to have to work the 4th. I mean, yeah, it, you know, I didn't get to spend time with my, my wife and my kids and all that, but I had yesterday off to, to make up for it uh, on, on Monday. So, you know, it all was good. I still had a three-day weekend out of it, but uh, yeah, it being on a Wednesday did kind of uh, throw a wrench into everything. Well, we saw that view you had. You had posted yeah. on, I think, Twitter. I mean, that, that was pretty. That was a pretty impressive place to watch the fireworks, man. So, uh, you know, it looked like a lot of fun. It does. It was. It was. So, well, guess what, man? Almost time to to really dive into the season coming up. SEC Media Days next week. Uh, it'll be my first time uh, going to SEC Media Days. You know, I've been to uh, many Gators Media Days, but uh, this will be a first, and it's cool that it's in Atlanta. Yeah, man. Podcast is taking off. You got all the credentials and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, legitimate members of the media now. So, there we go. so that won't change a thing. <laughs> well, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I mean, you know, we're finally getting to a place where, um, you know, we can talk about what's going to happen on the field. We can talk about who the opponents are. We know what the rosters are going to look like at this point. Um, or at least in some respects, we know what the rosters are going to look like. And it, it's just, you know, I, I, at the at the end of my article this week, I said I just can't wait till till September, and uh, nothing could be uh, nothing could be truer than that. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Florida and Georgia on the same day in Atlanta, so uh, it's gonna be a, a sight to see. You know, I'm sure many of waves of Bulldog fans will be there uh, the same time as as Florida. But uh, Florida takes place, I believe, one thirty to five o'clock. 
uh, on Tuesday after next Tuesday uh, afternoon. So it'll be uh, a fun time. It'd be Dan Mullen, of course, and three players that have yet to be named. So uh, of course, you know, make sure you follow social media. We'll be sure to tweet that out uh, whenever it is, but it'd be interesting to see who Dan Mullen's pick Dan Mullen picks to go there. Yeah. All I know is I hope he picks people who trash talk Georgia (laughs) (laughs) and maybe does a little bit of that himself. He can galvanize the fan base definitely by, uh, by picking on the Bulldogs. That's for sure. Yeah. He's already done it once. So maybe he'll come around uh, and do it again. So, uh, remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes, past, present, future, as well as articles from the News for Jacks sports team. That's news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. And lately, I've been uh, putting up the, my Bill King segments, too, that I do every Tuesday morning on the Bill King show up in Nashville. Uh, so I've been kind of labeling that Gators Breakdown Plus. So anything out of the normal episodes, I'll kind of put that label on it. So you can check it out there, too. But also for the podcast, remember, you can listen on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version or joining us live as well. Uh, when using those services, please share, rate, review the show, let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, of course, uh, news a little slow around Gator Nation right now, uh, except in the world of recruiting, uh, but we'll get to that. Um, but, you know, dead periods kind of right now. We're, like I mentioned, SEC Media Days next week. So we're kind of just reading preseason magazines, you know, getting a glimpse of uh, all kind of lists and stuff out there. But I figured we'd do something different uh, here for our, our Gator Breakdown listeners uh, so they could get to know us a little better as far as who we are as fans. So I wanted to compile a list of our favorites as it pertains to Gators football, favorite game, favorite season, favorite rivalry, favorite play, favorite player, favorite uniform combo, um, the last one isn't a favorite, but a, a most disappointing loss. So I figured you know, we could change it up just a little bit for this episode. Hey, man, sounds good. It's good to maybe get away from some of the more controversial stuff. <laughs> talk about all the stuff we've got in common as Gator fans because, you know, we all started somewhere and we all uh, we all love the school and we all want to see them do well. So it's always good to reminisce and look back. This was actually a harder exercise than I thought it was going to be, trying to narrow it down. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I need like six honorable mention categories in each, <laughs> yeah. in each of these things just to talk about it. And, you know, I have different reasons for different for different things. And so uh, – you know, some of them might be a little bit different than people would expect, but uh, that's what makes it fun. Absolutely. So we'll start with the uh, favorite game uh, part of this. And this one I picked because of two reasons. Uh, it was sentimental, and uh, the result was one of the best uh, in Gators history. So it's the uh, 2008 National Championship game versus Oklahoma, my top pick. Uh, of course, the season was great. Uh, and I was in the media media room for Tebow's speech after the, uh, the loss to Ole Miss. Um, then the Gators went on a tear the rest of the season and, and beat an undefeated Alabama in the SEC championship without Percy Harvin, uh, only to see him return in the title game and, and be that difference maker, even at not 100%. Uh, and that game was set up as this unstoppable Oklahoma offense, averaging over 40 points a game. Uh, and you knew as soon as Major Wright laid that hit on the sideline uh, that the Gators defense was going to be there to make a point. And Oklahoma had their chances, uh, and the Gators defense uh, held uh, on the goal line a couple of times with some stands and Ahmad Black making an incredible interception of Sam Bradford. Uh, but the Gators weren't going to be denied that night in Miami. Uh, we got another Tebow jump pass that sealed the game uh, and Gator Nation gets to celebrate the, the, the third national championship in a second in three years. Uh, but you know it was most special because I got the experience with my dad. 
uh, he he had gotten laid off due to the, due to the economic downturn, and you know, kind of bummed uh, about that. Uh, he got to watch a lot of football that season, <laughs> so you know. Uh, uh, but my, and my dad doesn't really like going to games a whole lot. He's not a big uh, crowd person. He'd rather crack a beer and sit at home and, and watch college football all day long. Uh, but we promised ourselves that that if Florida ever made it to Miami to play for the national championship, that we were going to go together. So for Christmas that year, uh, my mom and I surprised my dad with tickets to the game, and we were on our way to, to Miami to watch Florida play uh, for a national championship. So, you know, we got to experience that together. Uh, still a moment he talks about all the time to this day. Uh, you know, it was an escape for him after losing a job and, and just a great time between father and son. So that's why that 2008 national championship game is my favorite. It hit every aspect of being a fan. <laughs> well, it's funny because it, it is those memories with your family that end up probably being the things that sort of indelible in your mind. But I go down every year to see a game with my dad and my brother um, and, and have recently started taking my kids to see it as well. And so really, if, if you were going to if I was going to pinpoint my favorite game, it's a weird one. So it's 2015 versus FSU. Florida State beat Florida 29 to two. But it was the first game I took my daughter to. And so we had sort of planned earlier in the year. That was McIlwain's first year. I wasn't really expecting Florida to be very good. My daughter's. Uh, my, my daughter's birthday is right around then. So we went down to my parents for her birthday. And then, uh, and then my, you know, we were like, oh, the game will be at like noon or 3.30. It'll be fine. And of course, she's six years old and it's eight o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a trooper though, man. We, we, we went there and she, she asked all the right questions about why Treon Harris couldn't throw a complete pass. <laughs> and then the safety was in the end zone real close to where we were. And she was cheering and like slapping people's hands and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, my dad was there for, for it too. So that was a lot of fun. And it's just, you know, those are the types of things I think that, that really, I mean, it's why we take this stuff seriously, right? Is that it matters in the capacity of the, of the familial connection. I mean, if you were going to say on the field, my favorite game is South Carolina in 2006. I mean, I remember exactly where I was. I was heading over to my grandmother's house for dinner. Um, I was living in Blacksburg at the time going to Virginia Tech. And so Tech was playing that day too. A bunch of families in town. They're coming over to, they're going over to my grandmother's house and I'm not leaving the house until that game's over. <laughs> my wife's like, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, so I was standing behind the couch watching the entire game, you know, just thinking, oh, well, maybe they'll finally salt this one away. And then they don't. And, and so I wound up an hour late to the game or an hour late to my grandmother's house. And she's like, where were you? And asking me all sorts of questions. And my uncle's like, I understand. <laughs> like, he knew exactly where I had been and why I was late and fully supported it. So and those are sort of my two favorite ones. They all have a family component. I think most people probably have a family component when it comes to what their favorite game is. But, uh, but those are mine. Yeah, I'll throw another one in there, too. Uh, and, it, you know, the season wasn't so great, but it was 2002 versus Georgia. And it was giving them their only loss of the season. And as many of you know, I grew up in Georgia. All my best friends are Georgia fans. You know, we're going to that game. Uh, Ron Zook's first year, the year after Steve Spurrier retired. You know, Florida didn't have a chance. Uh, I think Georgia was ranked in the top three, maybe top two uh, at that point. You know, Bulldog fans were, you know, were, were excited. This is going to be the year they finally beat Florida. They're going to win it, go on and win the national championship game. Me and a, and a, a horde of Bulldog fans all rode down together. Uh, we get there early, early, early in the morning with game day being there. Uh, the game, it was the last time. The game was played at night as well, and I remember the game being on ESPN uh, in Florida in the white jerseys and the in the uh, orange pants, and I believe we screamed past them to death the, the whole game. <laughs> they couldn't stop it, and Florida goes on to upset Georgia and all my Georgia friends. It was the best ride back from Jacksonville ever. 
because I'm with about five or six Georgia fans. I'm the only Gator fan in the vehicle and with the biggest smile on my face. I didn't have to say a word. And that, that's all it was. I didn't have to say a word. That Wait, was, but you did though, right? No. You did say a word, right? No, I didn't. Oh, didn't. come on, Dave. <laughs> I had, you know, when you leave the stadium and you can buy the scorecards that have the score on it, I made sure that was seen the whole time with just a smiling face. Uh, and yeah. I, think, I think that's what ticked them off the most. They wanted me to say something. They expected me to say something, and I never did. <laughs> you got to give them, like, the archer, woo, or, <laughs> or something like that, man. As long as we're talking about Georgia, I mean, two, was it 2008 where Urban Meyer called all the timeouts at the end? That yeah. was pretty fun, too. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's always a good Georgia one in there, too. That's true. You, there's, there, there can never be too many Georgia ones, but uh, that 2002, like I said, give them the, but 2008 is kind of along that same line. You know, they were preseason number one, and. Florida ends up uh, winning the national championship that year. So. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll move on to the uh, uh, next one. And favorite season, Will. And uh, I went with the 2006 national championship season, uh, mainly because, you know, uh, on the surface, if you go back, it looked like Florida was not expected to do much that year. But they were ranked in the you know top ten for, for most polls there. And Sporting News, I believe, had them very, very high, I believe, top two, I believe, in uh, their preseason magazine or whatever. Uh, but it was, you know, an average offense uh, uh, and a great defense. And the offense kind of you know, got better, found the groove uh, later on in the season, especially in the SEC championship game and the national championship. It was the emergence of Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin. Uh, wasn't supposed to have chance versus Ohio State and then go to Glendale and, and blow them out and that that season as a whole you know it was my first year at Channel 4 I graduated college in June started uh the uh, graduated college in May started there in June and there I am on the sideline come September shooting uh, every uh, you know every game for Florida uh for the TV station I worked for and I was in, in pure heaven there getting to go to Gainesville and uh and on the road for a, a few games and, and shooting uh, Florida football when this historic season was happening so you know, 10 years after uh the first national championship is the 100 year anniversary of the University of Florida's uh, football as well uh you know everything just came together that year so I think yeah, all in all personal personally and in, in my career getting to cover Florida for the first time uh and you know not really expecting to do much but end up winning it all when it was all said and done. Yeah, mine's 2012. Um, that was one. That was that year where <laughs> Will Muschamp's good year, where you know they came in ranked sort of 22nd, 23rd. People weren't expecting a whole lot, and then they had that gauntlet early where they went to Texas mm -hmm. A&M before we knew that Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel, and he just lit it up in the first half. Yeah, and, and I was sitting there going, "Uh oh, the defense is really going to be bad this year." But then they pulled it off late. They shut him down in the second half. We're really the only team to shut down Manziel the entire year, Alabama included. And then they went on the road at Tennessee and beat Tennessee in Knoxville pretty soundly as well. Um, and then just laid the wood on number four LSU. I mean, they just handed it to Gillisley. It seemed like the whole yeah. game. That was the game where it was like, okay, this is a real team that has a real chance. Yep. And, uh, you know, from then on, the games were just entertaining the whole way through the year. You looked at, I mean, LSU was 14 to six. Then there was that game against South Carolina where there were all sorts of turnovers, and it was 44 to 11 turnovers on punts and all sorts of different stuff. And that was the week before Georgia. Yeah, the game against Georgia, which obviously was disappointing, but was still entertaining. I mean, it, it was it, it was a killer, but it was entertaining. And then again, they just laid it on Florida State at Doak. I mean, you know, you look at the degree of difficulty for that schedule. I mean, they're at Texas A&M 
at Tennessee. Then they had LSU at home, South Carolina at home, neutral for Georgia, and at Florida State. I mean, that was a pretty that was a pretty decent gauntlet to go four and one against, and then almost made it to the national championship. Mm-hmm. We had Notre Dame playing USC, USC down on the goal line, can't punch it in from the one. Otherwise, Florida's playing for the national championship. And I said 2012 because the Sugar Bowl against Louisville was played in 2013. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ignore that that game happened. <laughs> But I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, whenever there are low expectations or when there are yeah. lower expectations and the team makes a championship run, I find those much more enjoyable than a season like 2008 or even 2009 where everybody expects them to be excellent. And then you're nitpicking, oh, they only won 44 to seven. Yeah. What's wrong? It should have been 56 and, and those sorts of things. And, and you know, I'm whatever i'm i'm critical of of things all the time too so i probably would have been one of those people at the time too but all all i remember is that 2008 and 2009 seemed a little bit more like a slog 2012 was like hey we're back and that was yeah. a lot of fun and sort of the same feeling with McAway in 2015 in that old miss game um you know and 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 i wonder how much fun that would have been had greer not been suspended just because uh it was the same general feeling where you weren't mm-hmm. necessarily expecting the team to come out of the shoot 6 and 0 and when they did it was an awful lot of fun yeah, 2012 season. You're right. That, that was a really fun season, and it was also just guys making big plays. You know, it took, it always seemed like that the offense found its way in like midway through the third quarter, fourth quarter, because they really just beat you up all game long. And like you said, Mike Gillisley, uh, Matt Jones made his kind of presence known toward the end of the season. Yeah, you're right. You know, that, that team found ways to win, and uh, yeah, I won't ever forget those back-to-back games at A&M and Tennessee. Uh, I mean, Jeff Driscoll was throwing the ball uh, all over the yard in, in the second half of those games, making plays uh, that needed to be made. Uh, yeah, and you're right. I and mean, going to, to Doak and, and winning that game, and really just, you know, second half of that game, just laid and on him. I remember the Antonio Morrison hit uh, on EJ Manuel and, you know, getting excited. But uh, a way to follow that up 2013 with a four win season, you know, we couldn't build off of that, unfortunately. But yeah, that 2012 season was, was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, and I was a little bit young when the uh, when the Spurrier years were going right. on. Yeah, same here. And so, you know, it, those don't stick out of my mind as much as some of the more recent ones do. But I will say that 2001 team, mm-hmm. Rex Grossman, that lost late at Auburn and then lost to Tennessee in the uh, in the September 11th game that was moved towards the end of the year and sort of having September 11th built in to the, uh, to the season and all the uniqueness that came with that, obviously a horrible thing, but, but still it made it, it was a really interesting season because Tennessee was late. That was a fantastic game, 32 to 34 back and forth the entire time. And quite honestly, I think Florida probably wins the national championship if they win that game. That was a heck of a team. Again, one of those one of those teams that was really fun to watch. I mean, Grossman just lighting it up all over the place. If they win that Tennessee game, probably wins the Heisman Trophy. Um, and then Spurrier's last stand. I mean, that was one of those things where it was like really the end of an era at Florida. And obviously, the earlier part of that era was something I was aware of, but not necessarily following near right. as closely as I was in 2001 or 2002. And uh and, you know, we obviously had had quite a bit of success under Urban Meyer, but there have been some dry periods <laughs> before and after him. And uh, and Spurrier really was, was uh, you know, I, I think that 2001 season stuck out to me as sort of um, both an interesting thing from the way the team played, but also that was maybe the first time that people started thinking about the, the intensity that it is to be the coach of the Florida Gators. And that's certainly something that hasn't stopped now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely right there. Uh, yeah, that 2001 season, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of hit on that too later on uh, in some things, but that, that was a fun season uh, as well. Well, let's go first with this next one, your favorite rivalry. 
But my favorite rivalry is, has changed. It was, it's was it been Florida State for a really, really long time. I worked in Tallahassee for a year, um, so I had to deal with all those people, <laughs> with all those people for a year. But it's, it's, it's really kind of switched to LSU over the last few years, just in terms of the one that I really want to get. And part of that is that um, – you know, part of that is that Florida State has been bad when Florida's been good, and Florida's been good when Florida State's been bad. And the other part is that Florida and LSU have just had some really, really unique games. So, right. 2006, you had Jamarcus Russell, the jump pass, the quarterback play action that I'd never seen before to right. a wide open Lewis Murphy. <laughs> um, you know, in 2010, the fake 50 plus yard field goal where the guy threw it behind his head uh. and it bounced on the ground. And I was, I was at that game. I was at, I was actually at the jump pass game too. Bounced on the gra- ground, picked up by the kicker, and then, uh, and then they turned that into a touchdown later in the game to win. Um, 2011, Brad Wing had the fake punt touchdown. Yeah. The penalty afterwards, um, 2014, Driscoll had a long pass to Demarcus Robinson. They couldn't punch it in for a touchdown. The defense got a stop, and there was just a back-breaking interception from Driscoll to allow LSU to kick a field goal. They had the fake field goal for the game-winning touchdown yeah, after yeah, a deep yeah. throw to Callaway to tie the game. Um, and, and, and we were all sitting there saying, watch for it. The fans, oh, knew, it. The fans knew it. But the uh, coaches seem seem not to know it. <laughs> but yeah, the vast majority of these games I've been to, which also makes a difference. Like I said, yeah. I can only get down once a year. A lot of times, the LSU game is like yeah. the best game on the schedule. It's not around a holiday, yeah. and so and so I'm there a lot for that, and that that kind of colors this. And then the last one is the hurricane. Right, yeah. the hurricane where LSU act like a bunch of pansies, forcing <laughs> forcing UF to come to Baton Rouge because they they couldn't allow their economy to 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 be hurt by the hurricane. Not as if Florida's economy didn't have some of the same things that were going on, but uh, but anyway, that whole thing and just the AD for LSU and sort of how he handled things and and uh, and and the fans and just the back and forth and all that sort of stuff to me ramped it up even more than it was. It was kind of yeah. a friendly rivalry before that it's an unfriendly rivalry now it is honest, i kind of enjoy that so <laughs> yeah I, I got some severe dislike for lsu after that uh and then, and then to go there and had that goal line stand the very last play of the game yeah that was you know it, it, it's funny we're gonna have favorite plays in this too but for whatever reason i forgot that play and, and the goal line stand probably should be up there well, and, and, uh, and uh, Voshan Joseph's hit on the quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's the thing is if you, if you go back and really tick off plays in the LSU Florida rivalry, like the game is always 24 to 21. Yeah. Or 27 to 20, 24. It's always like that. So last year's, what, 17 to 16 is, is, is no surprise. In fact, there wasn't anything really special in last year's game that made me sit there and think, Oh, that's one to cite. But again, they're always 17, 16, 24, 21. Um, I don't really remember a whole lot. The only one is the Brad wing fake field goal. That was one where where Florida got absolutely trounced. But beyond that, I don't remember a lot of games where it's been, where it's been out of hand one way or the other. I know, um, Tebow's first game as a starter in 2007, where he threw the ball yeah. off of Harvin's hands. That one was a pretty was a pretty decent beatdown. And, by and, Florida, and, but. and uh, oh, that was 2008. 2007 is when at LSU and they had all those fourth down conversions. Yeah, and then we had yeah. the uh, and then we had the uh, um, the concussion game. So that was during yeah. my brother's wedding. So 2009. Yeah. <laughs> that was during my brother's wedding. So we were tasked with going out into the lobby <laughs> and, and figuring out what the score was and reporting back to him. Um, to make sure that uh, he could stay at the wedding and, and not not cause problems, but uh, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I, there's a unique story with every one of those games, and so for me, that's always the thing. It it's the if Florida wins that LSU game, they're usually four and two, five and one, six and zero oh, is is the way they start the year, 
and it's really sort of a bellwether for how the season's going to go. By the time you get to Florida State, yeah, right. you kind of know how the season's gone. Um, it obviously is important for recruiting, but LSU to me is sort of the – it's the point where you know what do you, what do you have from a, from a team perspective. Yeah, you read my mind about that. You, you know, a, a win versus LSU usually speaks to a pretty good season. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that 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 is definitely sure there. Uh, kind of probably gave it away earlier, but me growing up in Georgia and all that kind of stuff. My favorite rivalry is the Georgia game, uh, of course. You know, being in Jacksonville, I was born and raised in Jacksonville. Moved away to Georgia, uh, you know, for most of my school years. Uh, there's, so, you know, the game being, you know, in my hometown where I live at now, being raised in Georgia, all my best friends being Georgia fans, you know, that, that game speaks most to me uh, than, than any other just because of the connection to, to, to so many things there. Uh, I love the game being in Jacksonville. I don't ever want it to go home and home. I want the game in Jacksonville uh, always. But uh, it, it is, you know, kind of – you don't necessarily think of it, it – in the nineties, you had all those historic Florida, Florida state games. And mentioned, as you mentioned lately, the Florida LSU rivalry, you've had Florida Tennessee games that have been uh, knocked down drag outs. But for, for, for me, just because of the connection, um, you know, and my dad being an older Gator fan, you know, hated Georgia growing up. You know, could never beat Georgia. Uh, so that kind of bled over to me as well. Uh, so being being able to to go to school uh, when Spurrier's head coach and always winning the winning, but all but one of them. Uh, Urban Meyer, as you mentioned, calling the timeouts, running up the score. Uh, you know, even but even going the other way. You know, the Georgia, you know, on the Georgia side and, and the Marino touchdown and, and the team rushing onto the field. You know, it, it's still moments like that that make that game. Uh, but but it is special that last weekend in October, usually always around Halloween, uh, here in Jacksonville, that that game you know, just really speaks to me. I get, it's kind of like a reunion for me of sorts. Get to see Georgia friends that that, that come up come down for the game. Um, uh, at, as well so and plus just the atmosphere <laughs> of jacksonville that weekend is is unmatched one of college football's best rivalries just because of you know the uniqueness of it and you know, being split 50 50 in the stadium and uh being a neutral site rivalry there's just so many things around that game as i said you know, there haven't you know you said run Lindsay run of course in the early 80s on the georgia side uh and as i mentioned 2002 florida beating georgia giving their only loss that again they shouldn't have won uh there the, the, the really rainy game in the early 90s and eric Rett running over Georgia uh, like crazy with mud flowing everywhere before the stadium's getting torn down and they have to go for two years playing in Athens and uh, in Gainesville and of course can't always can't forget Spurrier uh, hanging half, uh, half a hundred uh, between the hedges there so you know there, there are moments and like I said the game doesn't really have as many moments recently as is Florida Tennessee and, and Florida LSU Florida Florida State but historically and personally the connections for me that's why Florida Georgia is up there. Well, we've always got the the Treon Harris. What was it, three or four pass game? That the- <laughs> oh, Kelvin Taylor and Matt Jones running wild. I think they're, I think they're still running. <laughs> hey, man, it was a strategy that won the game. So yeah. keep doing it till they can stop it. Yeah, and, and they could not. Uh, and then uh, Treon Harris beat them again uh, to get Mark Rake fired, pretty much. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Darn you, Treon Harris. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we'll move on to, to favorite play. And you've kind of mentioned this one already, but I will go the block field goal versus South Carolina 2006. Uh, 
I was there, and I, and I kind of mentioned this the other day. This, uh, something was posted on Facebook the other day, and I kind of retweeted it because uh, it was something about this game. And, uh, and I shared that, you know, I was on the sideline with a camera, but I was actually working for uh, CSS, the old Comcast sports station uh, here. I was, you know, had a, I was running camera for them uh, that game, and I was basically five feet from Steve Spurrier. The last play of the game, the field goal uh, is getting lined up and getting ready to get kicked. You know, my, my, my task was, you know, that the director was in my ear. All right, your camera's on Steve Spurrier. So I'm, I'm five feet from Steve Spurrier with a camera, you know, almost in his face. And all he could do was just just grin and, and shake his head. Everybody knows that Steve Spurrier grin, man. Once it got blocked and, and the crowd went nuts, uh, blocked by Jarvis Moss there, uh, it's uh, Spurrier could just, just give that signature grin shake his head and then just kind of jog that to midfield there. But, you know, be, being that close to Spurrier in that environment, the play in and of itself, you know, probably one of the loudest moments in the swamp. Uh, nobody will ever forget it. If you if you were watching Florida football around that time, it, it led Florida, helped propel them to, an, to another national championship. Uh, but, you know, that, that play right there uh, really, really, really sticks out with my top play. Yeah, so my favorite would be the Earl Everett tackle in the national championship game with no helmet. Um, I think that sort of personifies that team, you know, that was a team that just absolutely had an unbelievable defense. Um, A lot of Ron Zook's guys, um, a lot of guys who were sort of mismatched parts for what Urban Meyer wanted to do, particularly on offense, but man, did they give a ton of effort. And, and by the time you got to the end of the year, they were a really good, really, really good team. And, and we're, quite frankly, we're pretty disrespected going into that game against Ohio State and had the initial, the initial kickoff return for a touchdown. And, and, you know, all the people I knew from Ohio State were already, were already gloating. And then, uh, and then it turned around pretty quickly. So, <laughs> so yeah, and, and it really, Florida went right down, right after that, marked right down the field. Right to Dallas Baker. So yep. it really helps me now because uh, the pastor of my church is a huge Ohio State fan. So, uh, <laughs> so I can give him crap for both, for both the football game and the uh, and the basketball game right after that. So that's probably my favorite. And second favorite would be Callaway from Greer on the fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um if for no other reason, because that was in the era of being able to put gifts on Twitter. And so anytime a Tennessee fan gives you any sort of crap, you just post the Callaway fourth to forever. And, and Frank's gave us another moment last year. So now you don't even know which one to post. Yeah. When they give you crap. And, and it's good that we have those two because it was in between the one um, that, that Tennessee had that they were posting all last year. So, uh, you know, it, just because I said LSU is my favorite rivalry doesn't mean I don't hate all the other teams. And, <laughs> buffer. and so uh, so that one's good for that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned those two. You know, I had to, this was kind of easy to kind of quickly go through, but uh, another one, Brandon Spikes hit on Noshaw Marino in, ah. in 2008. Early in that game, uh, it really, you know, just set the tone when, you know, Brandon Spikes hits him behind the line of scrimmage, stays on top of him, says a a few choice words and I'm I'm sure he was telling him how much he liked him and uh, all, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, that, that hit, you know, just kind of, I think he just kind of knew right at that moment. Okay. This is, this is about to be a bubble. <laughs> well, this one, this one gets lost, but the fake punt in the sec championship game against Arkansas in 2006 oh. that, from, from, you know, urban Meyer, the offense was struggling. They were sputtering and they were, they were either just slightly ahead or a little bit behind the momentum was on Arkansas's was in Arkansas's favor. And he called a fake punt from his, from the own side, from his own side of the field 
And I'll be honest, I'm not sure either of the last two coaches would have called a fake punt <laughs> in their own territory. <laughs> and so I, I think that's been lost in, in sort of because it wasn't the national championship. There was still another game to play. Yeah. Obviously, I think at the time people thought Florida was going to struggle with Ohio State. And then they came out and just blitzed Ohio State. And then that's sort of the memory along with the South Carolina block, block kicks. Um, but, but that's one that, that does stick out when I think back, think back about that season is the uh, fake punt against Arkansas. All right, well, who's your favorite player? Ernest Graham. So, Ernest Graham, there we yeah, go. Yeah, so running back from 99 to 2003. Uh, this one, again, is more of a personal thing. So I played baseball against Ernest when he was uh, – so I was living down in Fort Myers at the time and, and played baseball for Fort Myers High School and played against him when he was at Mariner. And uh, I ripped one into the gap and thought it was going to be a double and uh, not even close. He, he, caught, he caught it without even barely even moving. And it was like, oh, that's what a real athlete, uh, <laughs> that's what a real athlete looks like when they're out in the center field. So he was somebody, you know, played against him in high school, same age. We both went to Florida at the same time and sort of followed him through those years while he was there. First couple of years with Spurrier and the next couple of years with Zook. Um, you know, the teams were were good but not great in that in that span though obviously we already talked about the 2001 team and how good they were but uh, it was just it, it's interesting that when you have a personal connection to the player you just sort of gravitate towards rooting for him and and pulling for him regardless of what the production is and and Ernest had had pretty good production I mean over 3,000 yards while he was at Florida went on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and really successful career there as well but uh but anyway, yeah, he's he's my favorite, and you know, most people I think say Tebow or something like, or Percy Harvin or something like that. And for me, it's just you know, I I saw him in high school before anybody knew about him, and then he went to Florida, and I was there too, and so it just made made it really easy for me to for me to latch on to him. Got you there. Yeah, um, I had a hard time choosing between Rex Grossman and Percy Harvin. Uh, there, you know, Grossman, you go back and look at, at the, it's just that 2001 season. If, if it would have ended up with a national championship and, and the Heisman probably would definitely have been looked at uh, even more, but he, you know, he couldn't have done much more than what he did uh, in that 2001 season. Uh, and kind of a shame too, that he had to be the quarterback making the transition from Spurrier to Zook, you know, if, if Spurrier would have stuck around, uh, Grossman still, you know, I mean, he put up good numbers uh, under Zook, but he you know, probably still would have been superb numbers uh, given uh, under Spurrier. You know, it just would have been uh, a nice chance to, to see how he would have evolved from that 2001 season. I know Caldwell and Gaffney uh, wouldn't have been there the whole time with him as well, but uh, you know, he would have garnered more experience, still had that Spurrier system, which he really didn't – it didn't seem to matter who was that receiver so much. You know, Spurrier could just put whoever uh, in there and, and still make something go. Uh, and for Percy Harvin, you know, just – kind of just self-explanatory you go back and watch and you know you did every time you touched the ball you were just waiting for something to happen you know, a big play here a big play there whether it be a, a run out of the backfield or a, a screen pass that he take or a pass deep down the field you know Percy Harvin could do it all you know and probably you know but besides Reggie Bush was just kind of one of those because they were around the same time and you know, just watching both of those guys you know, just the the electricity of every time they touched the ball, you never knew what was coming, uh, except you know a big a big play and just using speed to get out there. And he had to, he had some you know plays where he would juke and and, and and make somebody lose their socks, but it was mostly just that that speed uh, from the time he touched the ball zero to a hundred, and that's what Percy Harvin was. Yeah, I mean those guys are great. I remember. Uh... 
you know, Reggie Nelson being somebody else who was just electric on those teams, the eraser and, and, and watching him play at safety and, and just seeing the way he could change a game from the defensive side. Um, and Flores had a lot of those guys. I mean, you know, you look yeah. at, you look at uh, Keanu Neal, um, you look at Marcel Harris, those sorts of guys and, and sort of a tradition at, at, at Florida. I mean, people say DBU and I think they immediately think Jalen Tabor, Quincy Wilson, um, Joe Hayden, guys like that. But I think that also has to include the, uh, the safeties yeah. that have come through. They've been, they've been very, very good. Yeah, Ahmad Black, Major Wright. You know, we mentioned him earlier for that 2008 season. Yeah, safety, safety as well has, has been part of that DBU moniker uh, for sure. So a couple more here, uh, Will. Um, kind of the, the easier ones here. Uh, favorite uniform combination? It's going to get you in trouble, Dave. Uh, it probably <laughs> is. It, it, it is because, of course, I'm going white helmet. And if you're watching the, if you're watching the YouTube version, people can see it behind me, uh, of course. But the white helmet and the slanted F. I don't care if you don't like the slanted F. It's it, it's my logo. And shout out to Chris uh, out there where because I, I know it, it's his too. We've been talking about it. The, but the, the white helmet and the slanted F. Uh, ever since they they broke them out in two thousand nine, uh, it was you know against FSU. Uh, then they warm again the next week uh, versus Alabama. The SEC championship game. Uh, not so many uh, great moments there. Not so many great moments in, in those helmets to, to begin with. But honestly. A uniform does not make a team win or lose. Get over, the, <laughs> get over that, people. Uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, I really like the all-white that they broke out against Tennessee a couple years ago. Another loss, of course. Uh, but you know, the, the, the white helmet, the white jersey, the white pants is probably my favorite look. Uh, but if we'll go classic, you know, probably people want to, you know, if we, if we go orange helmet, uh, I would say the, the orange helmet and all blue. With blue jersey, blue pants, uh, it would be my, my favorite traditional uh, combo there. But favorite overall is the uh, the white helmet, and uh, I go back and forth: blue jersey, white pants, or just the all white. Uh, but uh, the white helmet has to be in there. <laughs> You're not providing a lot of evidence that these helmets aren't tied to wins and losses, there, Dave. I think every every game you cited was was a loss and a bad one at that. But yeah, they started off so good against FSU in '09, but yeah, ever, ever since then, I mean, I'll admit that they don't uh, they don't do it they, they don't do it for them. But uh, sorry, they could go and. and Right before those games and switch back to orange, it ain't gonna matter. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll say I'm I'm not a huge fan of the F, but I like the white helmets. Um, if if you told me I had to pick one uniform combination that they've worn thus far over the last ten or twenty years, I'd say the old school white helmet with the blue top with the orange stripes on the sleeves and then the white pants. I love that old school uh, that old school look that you know they used to wear when Spurrier was around, and and they brought that back for a few uh, for a few games during that era with Urban Meyer, and I, I loved it when they had that. Um, you know, again, if you're going to go white helmet, I like if it's balanced. So either go with the Gator script or go with the F. Well, Don't they, do they, one they, on either they, side. They have that now, Will. They do have that now. And I do prefer the Gator script to the to the slanted F. And then you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then I go I go blue blue. So blue blue jersey, blue pants, okay. um, white helmets would be the way I'd go on that. And then the only request I have is absolutely never wear the orange pants with the blue jersey ever again. Like. <laughs> It just it's it doesn't you're right it doesn't look right it, it doesn't look right and yeah. they lose when they wear it for the most part and I know the uniform doesn't really actually do that but again that Louisville game is the one that sticks in my head <laughs> with the orange pants <laughs> the blue jersey and uh, my dad going well that's it the minute <laughs> the minute they ran out on the field <laughs> back before uh, back before, or my my dad wouldn't be on Twitter anyway so <laughs> back before the the equipment team uh, tweeted the uniforms on the day oh, yeah. 
But, uh, but anyway, that would be my only request is I'm good with anything they wear. Really. I think most of them look really sharp. Yeah. Um, as long as it's not the, uh, the orange pants, with the blue Jersey, that's not, that's not my cup of tea. Yeah. Those classic jerseys you're talking about when in 06, when they wore against Bama. Yeah. And Reggie Nelson, as you mentioned him, has that big pick. Uh, to kind of seal that game away. But, yeah, there's a lot of people mention that as their favorite jerseys uh, uh, as well. And you had the, the white helmet with kind of the, the small uh, block F there. Yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was a that was a sweet-looking jersey, too. I remember being down on the sideline, um, you know, filming there for that game as well. And just, you know, seeing that up close, I was like, man, they, they, might, they might need to make these some permanent jerseys. But man, uh, they didn't. They are sharp. So I actually had Sean Steed, who who made the Read and Reaction logo recently. That's part of the logo is is sort of mimicking that, and it was just something I absolutely wanted to have. So um, that's hey, definitely Mullen. my favorite. It's the old school stuff. Yeah. Hey, Mullen, Mullen was there at that time. Maybe uh, maybe he hears how well received that jersey is, so he can. Uh, well, I, I, I hear black is coming. So. Yeah, he, he has said black is coming. You know, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't say Swamp Green was your favorite there, Dave. I, I, f- I figured that'd be your uh, that'd be your favorite. To be honest, I actually didn't mind those that much, except for that I couldn't tell who the players were because yeah. it was so hard to see the numbers. Yeah. And so going back and looking the fil- looking at the film, trying to figure out whether they targeted their the correct players and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> took more time than it does when they wear their normal stuff. So uh, that's all I remember. A galloping Felipe Franks in those jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I know is hopefully if they go with something dark again, it'll be white letters and white numbers rather than uh, rather than orange. Yeah. Um, as far as talking about the all white, if they, if they ever try to do something like that again, and I know not a lot of the audience watches the uh, the softball team, but uh, the softball team has those ice jerseys. I think where the, the all, all white. Uh, they need to find a way to copy that for the football jerseys because those are those are some sharp looking beauties. Hey man, as long as, long as they don't have the uh, yellow flowers in their hair. So, uh. <laughs> uh, all right, Will. Here we go. Uh, time to get negative just for a second. Most disappointing loss. I'll, oh, let, you go. I'll let you go with that one. So this one, this one, there is there is zero competition for this one for me. Okay. It's the incomplete pass that was called a fumble against Auburn. That, mm. that right at the end of that game, and at the time, I thought it cost us the national championship. Yeah, ESPN had Cowherd on some weird simulcast where he was talking through the game. Um, he had been talking up Florida on on his radio show all week long. Um, you know, it looked like Florida was was turning into a juggernaut, and then they go on the road to Auburn, and it just felt like Florida got jobbed in that game. Like that yeah. was, you know, they they had struggled the whole game. They drive down the field. You're never going to convince me that that wasn't a forward pass from Leak. <laughs> like if you watch the replay, it goes forward from his hand and then hits the and then hits the Auburn defender. How is that not a forward pass? I don't understand how that's a fumble. So, um, you know, on the telecast when it happened, I thought it was an incomplete pass. Then they showed the replay, and I thought it was an incomplete pass. Then they did the review, and I'm like, oh, they're going to overturn this stuff. And then they kept it, kept it the way it was on the field, and I'm just like, oh. Did they have so, a review back then? Oh, wait, it was they did. They did review that play. I remember yeah, them yeah. reviewing it distinctly because yeah. I remember thinking, oh, there's no way someone would uphold that as a fumble, and it would have given us another shot because it wasn't like it was fourth down or anything. It was just, you yeah. know, Leak, Leak came up from a play action fake, I think. And when he did, the defensive end was right there. It was a great defensive call, great play by the line, or I think by the defensive end. But he threw the ball away. <laughs> like it looked <laughs> awkward, but it was a pass. And I will go to my grave contending that that was a pass. And it felt like, you know, the ones where you get beat because you make your own mistakes to me are easier to, to swallow than yeah. the ones where you feel like the officials sort of took it from you. Um, 
and so to me that that is the one that just sticks in my mind and and i mean florida even won the national championship that year and i'm still sitting here going we should have been undefeated (laughs) (laughs) and at the time it really felt like that was going to be a problem and luckily on the road and all those sorts of things and but even at the end of the year you you had ohio state and michigan playing each other and and the question was were you going to be able to jump them and or was there going to be a rematch and all that sort of stuff and and uh, yeah that was the one where it was just like oh i could not believe it <laughs> uh, my most disappointing loss. Uh, I'll go back to 2001. You mentioned earlier that Tennessee game. I distinctly remember it, as you said. It's been pushed back to the end of the year because it's September 11th. Uh, a lot of people believe if they would have been played earlier, uh, Florida uh, would have won that game with the way they were rolling. But Tennessee got better as the year was going on and, and come to Gainesville in a highly, I think, a top five matchup. But Florida was favored by like. 13, 15 points or something like that. And, and both teams were like within two rankings of each other. But I think Florida was third or second or something like that. And Tennessee was fourth or fifth, something like that. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and Tennessee comes in and Travis Stevens runs for over 200 yards. And, you know, Florida still had a chance at the end. And uh, uh, I, I passed a, a Grossman to Gaffney where I still think Gaffney was, uh, I believe it was a two-point conversion uh, at that point they were going uh, for. And I thought Gaffney was interfered with, uh, but, you know, by no means was the reason for I lost that game. Uh, but the, that one, you know, just because you knew if Florida won that game, they were going on to the SEC championship game. They were going to play an LSU team that they had already beat the Brits off of earlier in that year. Tennessee did end up losing the LSU. So, you know, who knows? You know, Florida would have still had to come ready to play that game. But you probably would have set up a, a Florida-Miami national championship game uh, in the Rose Bowl. Probably would have gave Rex Grossman a, a Heisman Trophy, as we mentioned. Uh, now, I don't know if Florida would have beat that Miami team, but I sure as heck would have liked to see that that matchup. The Miami team was was really, really, really good. Uh, but, you know, just to also say a Florida-Miami national championship game would have been so much fun and just a buildup in, in the state of Florida for that one. Yeah, the the only other one I'd mention in, in that sort of in that sort of framework is the 2012 game against Georgia. There you go. That's, 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 my, that's my other one as well. Which I remember is the Jordan Reed game, which is probably <laughs> unfair because there were so many mistakes in that game. I mean, I think there were five turnovers. Mm-hmm. It was just every. I mean, Florida dominated the game and lost because they couldn't hold on to the football. And uh, again, that was one of those where it's tough to swallow because you feel like you're the better team. But at least in that capacity, the mistakes that were made were were made by the players on the field, and that's the kind of thing that happens from time to time. But again, the things that were on the line, I mean, if they'd have beaten Georgia in that game, they're, they're playing for the national championship. I mean, that's now – they also would have been playing in the SEC championship game yeah. and we'll, and we'll see what, you know, we would have seen what would have happened there, but they would have had an opportunity to play Alabama for the chance to go to the national championship. And that's, you know, that's all you can ask for. So again, when you, when you start talking about the missed opportunities and, and things like that, and, and who knows how the must champ era changes if they go and play in that SEC championship game and give Alabama a game or even pull it out. I mean, at that point you got a guy who's gone to the national championship, probably won it because Notre Dame was not that good that year. I don't think, um, you know, and who knows how the story changes if that happens. That's 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 a pretty good what if that if they had yeah. happened to pull out that game. I mean, you know, is Will Muschamp still at uh, still at Florida? Has he has he found his 18th yeah. offensive coordinator? <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> coming coming off another four and eight season. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I can't really add much more to, to that game than what you already said. But yeah, that that one, ugh, that was a that was the dagger. Yeah, but again, that one was self imposed. Yeah, I mean, that one was definitively the team. The team had some issues, and and for me, the harder ones are always the ones where you feel like the officials sort of decide it. And and I'm sure Tennessee feels the same way about the uh, about the game where oh, who was it? Was it Caldwell? 
who caught the ball in the end zone. It was stripped like, almost immediately. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm sure they feel the same way about that one. And uh, I'll know. say it was a catch because I'm a Gator fan, but it wasn't a catch. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, you know, those sorts of games are the ones that are harder to get over, at least for me. And so, uh, so that'd be, that'd be my most, most disappointing one. All right. Well, some uh, uh, Gators breakdown listeners also shared uh, some of theirs. So uh, I'll get to theirs. Uh, Brandon Sanders uh, says, of course, it's Tebow. For, I guess you know, he's talking about his favorite player. But growing up in the 80s and 90s, my favorite players were Tommy Lomack and Shea Showers until uh, Jack Jackson came along. Uh, Jack Jackson is my all-time favorite wide receiver. Favorite game would have to be the 97 Sugar Bowl. And of course, that is giving Florida the first national championship game um, versus FSU. And everybody does well. You know, that's what you and I kind of talked about. You know, it is funny. Neither one of us mentioned the first national championship game, but, you know, I was 13 at the time. So, of course, you know, of course I was watching and, and there. But as you said, the older you get, the more emotionally invested you get. So, you know, those Spurrier games, you know, I, I remember them and I still remember cheering and all that, but, you know, not as basically when I become obsessed <laughs> later on in my years. Well, I, I came to Gator fandom a little bit later in life because I lived in Indiana for the first 16 years of my life. And then we moved down to South Florida and really, you know, it wasn't like I had Florida or Florida State. I mean, I would probably, to be honest with you, was more partial to Florida State until I realized that I was going to get a better education at Florida. And so <laughs> and so when it came down to choosing where I was going to go, it, it was pretty clear that I needed to go to Florida. And so at that point, that, that was where I was. But, you know, 18 years old, 1999, the Spurrier only had a couple of years left. And, and so that's I, I completely understand if people would say we're being slanted towards the uh, <laughs> towards yeah. the more recent stuff. But that's because that's when I was a diehard. Right. I mean, that's uh, Ari just kind of speak to that a little bit. So uh, that's what it is uh, for, for, for the most part uh, there. So tag uh, at original Gator. It says two favorite moments. Uh, so here it is. 1996 National Championship game that I hear you'd stop and pop. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, going back to that 96 game, the SEC championship game that year against Alabama was my first Gator game ever. Uh, like I said, my dad just didn't really like going to games all that much. Uh, but a friend of his got had gotten sick and couldn't go to the SEC championship game. He just gave my dad the tickets. You know, he said, take your son to the game. Uh, so, you know, go, we went to Atlanta uh, from South Georgia. So I had about the four, four and a half hour drive. Uh, it was my first experience, you know, seeing seeing the Gators in person uh, up in the nosebleeds of the, of the Georgia Dome. But, you know, 13-year-old me was about the, the, the happiest I could be. <laughs> Hey man, no, nosebleeds are great. I, I'll be honest. I love. I sit up in the like. What do they call them? Like the sunshine, the yeah. sunshine terrace or something. I love that place. I can see it. I can see all the holes open up and all the yeah. throws and all that sort of stuff. There, there is not a bad seat in the swamp. And you know, I don't know how it is in Atlanta, but, uh, but you know, I'm never going to complain about free. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was it too. Uh, and then, uh, of course, you know, at 96, of course, it, it was revenge versus Florida State. Uh, Warfel was getting hit to the to the echo of the whistle, as FSU uh, like to say it so much. You know, Florida got their, their revenge in their, in their rematch, uh, you know, after beating Alabama in the SEC championship game and, and then going to New Orleans and playing FSU again and, and blowing them out for their first national championship. And uh, his second favorite moment for uh, Tag says 2006 SEC championship game versus Arkansas. Percy going up the middle, absolutely blew by everyone on the field. Defining moment for Percy, the 2016 on its way to the national championship and for the urban era. Uh, Sarasota Gator, 22. Uh, favorite game, home, 1991. Florida, 14. FSU, 9. Passes broken up in the end zone by Bill Spear and Larry Kennedy. Uh, away game, 2000, as we mentioned this well. <laughs> Florida, Tennessee, 
and then put in parentheses Jabbar Gaffney catch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's somebody who who thinks tell or who thinks Tennessee's the biggest rival. That's for sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, there we go. Uh, player, uh, it's an offense: Ben Troop, defense: Javon Curse. Favorite season: There's 2006. Um, and um, favorite uh, moment: uh, the right hit and the moss block field goals. You know, we kind of hit on those. Uh, Lord Heller says. 97 versus FSU, Spurrier playing two quarterbacks. Quizzy Green, Fred Taylor, uh, upset number one team. Dexter hopes for uh, Natty. Uh, favorite player, it's just too many, but Emmett and Percy, uh, they can score on any play. Uh, and beating FSU for the first Natty uh, was one of their favorite moments. And, yeah, Will, I mean, going back in, in that 97 game as well, a lot of people will have that as their, as their favorite game. It's kind of coined the, the, the loudest game in the swamp. And, of course, you know, Doug Johnson hits uh, Quezzy down the sideline and he runs for, uh, you know, gets, gets Florida in good field position where Fred Taylor then takes over, Florida takes the lead and upsets uh, FSU and, and does ruin their national championship. You know, those – you know, 95, 96, uh, 96, uh, the rematch for the Sugar Bowl, and then 97, you know, that, that, that little run of Florida, Florida State, that, that, was, that was a great run for Gator fans. Yeah, well, we had we had Jaquez on the podcast last yeah. year to talk about that and and sort of his memories of that. And so, uh, you know, every time you watch it, uh, you know, again, I, I wasn't a diehard at that point, but still, um, you go back and watch that stuff through the, through the framework of being a diehard now, and it's awfully fun. Can we get back to that? Come on. <laughs> um, oh, well, that was some good stuff. And uh, part of getting back to that, of course, and we'll let, uh, quickly tackle your article here, uh, is, you know, recruiting uh, in, your, in your latest article. Uh, recruiting is the hot-button topic right now, and you tackle uh, is on, the, do on-field results matter in recruiting rankings? Yeah, so I mean that that's been sort of the hot topic on Gator Twitter, at least, especially after um, Chris Steele and and uh, and some of the other guys who've been out of state recruits have decided to go elsewhere. And you know, it was always a high variance strategy for Mullen to have all of these out of state targets, and a lot of his elite recruits are a lot of the high level guys that he targeted are out of state. And um, you know, when you, when you're going to do something like that, if you hit. Hey, you look fantastic. If you don't, people start questioning your approach. And so, um, you know, the the refrain from from people in in April and May when we started bringing up, hey, Florida's a little bit behind, was well, it's only April, it's only May. Well, now we're in July, and they're saying, you know, you're still hearing, well, it's only July because national because national signing day is only till February. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I came on and talked about blue chips and how it doesn't appear that success on the field increases the number of blue chips that you get. So you still get more throughout the, throughout the season and, mm-hmm. and, and after the season. But if you had you know, 30% blue chips before the season, you have 30% after. It was a very limited sample size that I looked at. So this time I went back and I looked and I said, okay, let's look at everybody's recruiting class from 2017 to 2014, the second recruiting class for a new coach who came on. So you had Charlie Strong at Texas, you had Chris Peterson at Washington, Sarkeesian at USC, James Franklin at Penn State, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Jim McElwain, um, you had uh, Mark Richt, Kirby Smart, Justin Fuente. Look at all those guys and say, okay, who actually performed on the field? And out of that, you had the the coaches who took from their predecessor and increased the number of wins. There was Fuente, Rick, McElwain, Harbaugh, Narduzzi, Muschamp at South Carolina, Clay Helton at USC, DJ Durkin at Maryland, um, Jeff Brom, 
Tom Herman, Ed Orgeron, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with Dan Mullen. So you got 11 guys there that you can look at and say, okay, well, what did they do from a recruiting perspective? So I averaged all their recruits prior to August 1st and after August 1st and said, okay, they had some success during the season. Did that pay off in the recruiting, in the recruiting uh, rankings? And there was a little bit of a bump. So the average recruit ranking was 657th nationally. For those guys, there were 130 recruits prior to August 1st. Um, in these guys' second year bump class, there were 130 recruits after August 1st. So really, August 1st is sort of that halfway point like we talked about. So the average national rank before was 657. The average national rank after was 556. So there is about a 15% improvement for these coaches. But when I started looking at the guys who didn't improve records, I saw very similar things. So you look at Charlie Strong at Texas. Um, they got worse, but his recruiting um, basically stayed the same. In fact, got a little bit better during the season and after August 1st. And if you look at Matt Rule at Baylor last year, his recruiting got way better. It was less total recruits after August 1st, but 50% of them were blue chips and his recruiting got better as well, even after they went one and 11. So, you know, there's mounting evidence, I think, that the 2018 performance on the field will not significantly impact the 2019 recruiting class. That doesn't mean Mullen's a bad coach. It doesn't mean that he's not going to do a fantastic job on the field. It just means that saying, hey, it's only July in a couple of weeks isn't going to be a valid excuse anymore. I mean, really, what we should expect historically is that on August 1st, Florida's class from a ratio perspective looks about like what it's going to look like in in on National Signing Day. And that's okay. It's just that is what it is. And so at that point, we can start saying, okay, this is probably what we can expect um, going forward. Now, all that being said, Friday Night Lights is coming up. And Mullen could absolutely light it up. He could have seven blue chip guys commit. And when he does, his his average <laughs> his average recruit will go way, way up. Um, but right now he's got 11 recruits and their national average is 497, which if you look at the 24-7 is an 87.9 recruiting ranking, which is really low historically for Florida. That's what it is. Now, again, if he brings in six blue chip guys after Friday Night Lights, that'll completely change that. It'll change the picture a little bit. But, you know, even right now, if he were to bring in, if he were to bring in 14 guys, the 150th recruit to the 163rd recruit, just that block of guys, um, you know, really, really high level blue chip guys. And that's all he brought in 14 more of those guys to fill out the class to 25. You're probably looking at a class that ends up around ninth. And so that's sort of the top end of what the recruiting class is going to look like this year, most likely, um, unless he brings in some really top tier talent. If he brings in somebody ranked 20th, 30th, 40th, those guys tend to have a higher impact on the actual recruiting at 24-7. And for good reason. I think those guys turn, turn, out, to be, uh, turn out to be elite uh, more often than guys in the hundreds and more often than guys in the 500s. So, um, so anyway, that's probably what we're looking at is where the ceiling is probably somewhere around ninth, eighth or ninth. And probably the truth is, and the floor is probably around 18th or 19th. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So we're looking at a 12th or a 13th ranked recruiting class. It's not the end of the world, but it is an issue when Florida State, Georgia, and and even Miami are recruiting at a level that's higher than that. And that's something that the staff is going to have to look at and Mullen's going to have to look at and say, hey, do we need to change our approach? Because the approach this year is something that I'm, I think a lot of fans, again, 
sometimes the results on the field, sometimes the the results on the recruiting trail are not going to be what you want. The question is, was the approach right? And in this case, I think some people, including myself, are questioning the approach of focusing out of state as much as they have, which has sort of put them behind the ball on some of the some of the Florida recruits as well. Yep, so we'll be interested in Will uh, how how it all uh, you know pans out. And you know, what I want to say is, you know, when you bring data like this to the table, you know, it's it's not an indictment of uh, of Mullen if he will get it done or if he can't get it done. You know, these are just points that we can throw out there and say, hey, look, if 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 he does overcome this, this is this is how hard it was actually to overcome it. There's a lot of data out there that shows a lot of people didn't do this. So if Mullen goes in and gets a top ten class or you know, around that, you know, he had to work his tail off because the data tells us that, you know, he, he had to, he would have had to, to get a top 10 class, you know, start nailing a lot of, you know, blue chips and, and getting them in the fold. So, you know, at least with, with the data out there, we can show if he can buck the trend or if he is bucking the trend, exactly how hard it was. You're such an optimist, Dave. I love it. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I mean, if Mullen goes out there with a class that's, that's you know, essentially this year his average class is around 15. If he brings in one at 12, then next year he's going to be around 13. If he puts it up consistent top 10 seasons, that's going to be a very impressive feat. Not because the players that he has on the roster are bad, but because depth usually is where you suffer on a recruiting class. <clears throat> that you know, recruit, The difference between a recruiting class at three and a recruiting class at 15 is usually depth. And we saw that last year with some of the suspensions. We saw that with some of the injuries. And by the time you got through the injuries and suspensions, God, by the time we got to the Georgia game, it, the, the, the team was kind of a skeleton of what, it, what we thought it would be going into the year. And, yeah. and it's not a coincidence that depth became an issue three years after Jim McElwain had a recruiting class ranked, I think, 21st in 2015 as his transition class. So, you know, Mullen had a very good transition class. It'll be interesting to see where this ends up. Like you said, I think if he if he can turn these into top 10 teams, it'll say something about his coaching ability, particularly if the quarterback if the quarterback play improves significantly. Um, and and the other thing is, is that it's it's to me. Look, I want to find evidence that says that Mullen is going to succeed. I mean, that's the goal. But when the evidence says that that historical precedent indicates that this is a problem, well, it's not me criticizing Mullen for the sake of criticizing him. It's it's saying it's pointing out that this, you know, just from an evidence perspective, is concerning. And I think, um, you know, we need to take that into account. And I also think we need to take from both sides. I mean, you know. My point has been you have to wait until after Friday Night Lights. You have to wait until August 1st. But at that point, I think you can start making some generalizations. And you can't just say, oh, it's only August. Like, I don't think that flies. You can say it, but there's no real evidence that indicates that you're right. <laughs> and so, you know, again, I'm searching for it. I, I would love it if, if guys who had lots of success on the field all of a sudden were just reeling in blue chips. But that's just not something that's happened. It indicates, you know, we talked a lot about accuracy and how accuracy seems to translate pretty well from high school to college. And I think when we look at recruiting, at least in the bump class, we can say recruiting is something that's, you know, it's not an on-field thing for 2019, at least for Mullen. You know, you look at Kirby Smart, immediately his classes were good in that second year. You look at Tom Herman, immediately his classes were good in the second year. Saban's the same way. Urban Meyer's the same way. And people will say Dabo Swinney, but I don't want to be relying on outliers. <laughs> At six million dollars a year, like you know, you, you want to look at, you want to, you want to be able to play with those big boys because they're in the conference. But again, like I said, like you said, if if Mullen does, if Mullen can have top ten teams with the guys he's got right now, it's an excellent job, and um, 
And the recruits are going to come in 2020 and 2021 because of what's on the field. There is a correlation there. I haven't had a chance to really dig into it and quite honestly, probably won't till next year, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I've teased it. And I think, uh, I think Bill Sykes might have something about that. Sorry. Ah, well, we're, 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 we're coming up soon. We're getting somebody back, man. Everybody's going to be excited <laughs> to not have to listen to me anymore. So, or at least have, at least have him, uh, him, uh, give me the, give me the pump, pump in the brakes. Uh, so, so what's going to happen? I'll intro, you say one word, and we just let Bill go. <laughs> well, how's it any different from when he used to come on, man? So. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to record that and send it to him. <laughs> well, we, he, uh, he sent me an email after he, read me, after he read my article the other day. It said it's only July. So <laughs> right back at him, man. Right back at him. <laughs> You know, he's about that. Oh man, no, we love Bill. It'll be great to have him back. And certainly everybody's sort of been, uh, been <clears> entertained. <throat> they want to hear from him. I mean, this is sort of his cup of tea. So oh, I'm yeah. interested to hear what he has to say and it'll be fun to have him back. Right. Well, you mentioned Friday Night Lights and what can happen there. A few names that are going to be there, of course, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, number one recruit in the nation, uh, says he'll be there. Uh, Nathan Pickering, even though committed to Mississippi State, will be visiting uh, as well. Uh, Dewan Black, a uh, big-time star there. Commit Jalen Jones, of course, uh, says he, he – uh, I mentioned him the other day. We had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago, confirmed to me that he will be uh, our Friday Night Live. So good to have your uh, four-star quarterback on campus, you know, being able to talk to different recruits and uh, you know help recruit uh, as well, uh, him being here. Uh, Kyrie Elam, uh, big-time target. Uh, of course, here, Lloyd Summerall, a big target. A lot of people think heading towards uh, Florida will be at Friday Night Lights as well. Jalen Humphreys' commit will be here. Tyron Hopper commit also uh, will be Friday Night Lights. Um, and, of course, uh, Josiah, Josiah Pierre recently committed uh, as well as Jamal Abram. Just a few names that have confirmed. Uh, more out there as well, but you know, just uh, the guys of note uh, that will be at Friday Night Lights. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully we got some commits to talk about after that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, Will, uh, we did it again. Uh, anything else out there? Uh, any? Um, uh, you messaged me. Uh, you had some uh, kind of an outline of what you could be working on with Read and Reaction coming up soon. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing some best case, worst case type of things. So looking at each each one of the teams on Florida's schedule in the East, and then probably LSU as well, and looking at what could break right, what could break wrong in their in their uh, in their seasons, and then sort of how they compare to Florida um, within that framework. So recruiting rankings, and it'll dovetail pretty nicely, I think, with some of the previews we're going to be doing. But uh, but anyway, I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about worst case scenario for Georgia being Fromm's broken hand causing a quarterback controversy. <laughs> And uh, and you know somebody punching Kirby in the locker room. That's probably that's probably the worst case. Uh, the worst case for Georgia. But uh, you know it is interesting. I mean last I got year my, I got my ski mask ready to go. <laughs> well, it's interesting because everything went right for Georgia last year, right? I mean you, you get yeah. you get Eason knocked out. Fromm comes in. All of a sudden he's unbelievable. They're able to sort of limp their way through that Notre Dame game on the road. And at that point it was sort of you know I mean Florida obviously struggled last year and was not exactly the formidable opponent they normally are for Georgia. And uh, you know and then. They they didn't have to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, everything broke right until that last play. And, uh, you know, if that's a harbinger for how things are going to go for them in, uh, in 2018, then uh, that worst case scenario part will be, will be interesting to write. Absolutely. Remember, you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gator Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.